Welcome to the Grace Point Podcast, a ministry of Grace Point Church for Scythe in Cumming, Georgia. To find out more about Grace Point Church, you can go to our website at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org. Continue our series in the book of Mark. We're going to be looking at Mark 731 through 826. You can find this on page 843 in the Blue Pew Bibles and 1002 in the Red Pew Bibles. As you're turning there, I want to remind you of a couple of things. First, for kids ages 5 to 5th grade, we have Crusoe Kid Zone, um, which is out that back door, and uh, our kids go out there. Um, they're going to be talking about uh, Scripture. Parents, I encourage you, uh, after uh, Sunday is over, during lunch, to go and to ask them what it is that they learned, what did they study, and what did they look at. Not only that, but we as a congregation have a couple of opportunities coming up. Number one, we have a congregational meeting next week right after worship. Um, this will be an opportunity for your leaders to kind of give you a, a sense of what's going on. And we're also going to be doing officer nominations next week. Uh, throughout the past few weeks, we've been talking about what does it mean to be a deacon, what does it mean to be an elder. Uh, I've asked you to pray about any deacons or elders that we might have in the congregation, members who can um, be raised up into that position. And so we're going to do the nominations next week. And finally, I just want to continue to remind you that we have these invitation cards uh, that are available for you that give all the information on the church, when we meet, what our address is, uh, all the things they need to find, anything that they need to know about us, including a QR code on the back, which takes them uh, to uh, our website. Uh, and I would really encourage you to hand these out. These are a great way uh, to start a conversation about church. These are a great way to let people know uh, who we are and where we're at. These are a great way to begin that conversation, to begin that interaction where you're bringing the beauty of the gospel into the lives of the people that you know. Now that you've had time to turn to Mark chapter 7, verse 31 through 826, please stand for the reading of God's word. As we read, this is a uh, a bit of a weird text. It is uh, organized in such a way that we get some healings as bookends, that we get a miracle in the middle. But the primary focus of this text as we read it that I want you to pay attention to is how Jesus interacts both with the disciples and with the Pharisees. Then he, that is Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. In those days when, again, a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples in to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days days and have nothing to eat 
And if I send them away hungry for their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. His disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. They took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. There were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into a boat and his disciples, with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmathuna. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they, that is the disciples, began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves and the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did they take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And we had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him. He asked, Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Father, we pray that as we look at this text, you would help us to understand what it is you're trying to teach us. Give us a mind to comprehend the ways that the Pharisees and Herod and disciples were missing out on Christ. Hide the truth of the gospel in our hearts that we would remember that you are true and the source of our joy. And help us to work out in our hands the applications that come from this text, trusting in you and all that we do. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are in the book of Mark, and as we study, it's important to remember that context is king. That's right. Context is king. This means that anytime we study scripture, we need to understand who wrote the book that we're studying, why it was written, who it was written to, what it addresses, all those things. The book of Mark is the shortest synoptic gospel. The gospels are the story of Jesus's life. It was written by John Mark from Peter's witness. So this isn't actually an eyewitness account. It's, it's hearing from Peter's eyewitness account. And it was written to Gentile believers. 
Many people consider this the book that Roman soldiers would have read. Soldiers who were not known for their intellect and didn't have the Jewish background, but here in the book of Mark, they can still understand who Jesus was and what it is that he was teaching. In the book of Mark, we have some key themes. We see the sonship of Jesus, the fact that he is the son of the living God. We see the authority of Jesus through his miracles and healings and ability to control the weather. And we see that Jesus came to preach the gospel. That's his message, and that was his focus. And as we've been going through the book of Mark, we've also, we have also been using Kintsugi pottery kind of as a, a visual reminder of what the gospel is. It's this imagery of, of pottery that's been broken and repaired and repaired in such a way that the breaks are clearly evident. I like this image because it reminds us of our need for the gospel. It reminds us that we are broken people, broken by our sin. But through trust in Christ, by believing that his life, death, and resurrection were for us and can bring us into relationship with him, we are repaired and able to do the work that God has for us. Without Jesus, we're just broken pieces. With Christ, trusting in the gospel, we are repaired, made whole, reminded of why we were created, and able to do the jobs that we were made to do. So in the book of Mark, we've been seeing the beauty of the gospel, the message that Christ is bringing, and the way that all the things that have happened continue to point people to this gospel. And before we get into today's text, uh, there's a TV show, it's, it's stopped running now, but it was about a guy who pretends to be a psychic. And the truth is, he's not actually a psychic. He just pays very close attention to his surroundings and the things that are going on, and he draws conclusions based on the things that he sees. Now, he doesn't have any kind of eyesight or superpowers. He's just paying close attention to the things that are around him, which enables them, him then to draw those conclusions. By paying attention, he's able to see the things that other people miss. And when you watch the show, you start to ask yourself, how many things am I just glossing over? How many things am I, am I missing? How many things am I not paying attention to around me? And the truth is, many of us miss the things that are right in front of us, whether they be changes to decoration or whether it be important truths that we either choose to ignore or just don't pick up on. And as we've seen through the book of Mark, the disciples did this for much of Jesus' ministry. Right in front of them was the Savior, but they kept missing the point. They kept missing the thing that was right in front of them. And this really comes to a head today in chapter 7, verse 31, all the way through chapter 8 we see the fact that the disciples are missing the point. And so today, as we open up this text, we're going to see three things. Number one, what the worldly leaders missed about Jesus. Number two, what the disciples missed about Jesus. And then we're going to ask the question, what are we missing about Jesus? What the worldly leaders missed about Jesus, what the disciples missed about Jesus, and what are we missing about Jesus. So let's start by looking at what the worldly leaders missed about 
Jesus. Now this text begins with the healing of a deaf man, then it moves on to the feeding of the 4,000. And right after the feeding of the 4,000, we have this transition that Mark brings in where the Pharisees come and they, they challenge Jesus. And as we've said over and over and over again, Christ's main thing is the gospel. His primary purpose is to bring the gospel. And while he was bringing the gospel, he was also doing miracles, healing people, uh, and doing things like that, which brought authority to the message that he was bringing, but also drew the attention of the crowds. When the crowd's attention is drawn and a religious message is being spoken, then the religious leaders of the day feel like the focus has now been taken off of them, and so they want that to stop. They're, they're approaching Jesus because they basically want to discredit him. They, they want him to stop taking away the people that were listening to them. So as we've seen over and over again throughout the text, they come to Jesus and they challenge him. And here in chapter 8, verses 11 through 14 or 15, we see that they demand to know some kind of special sign from heaven. If you remember back to last week, uh, the Pharisees were challenging Jesus and trying to accuse him of breaking the Mosaic law. And last week, what we saw was Jesus said, no, this isn't the Mosaic law. This is the tradition of men that was given to try and help follow the Mosaic law, but it's not actually God's law. And so you're not focused on the right thing. You're focused on the external, not the internal. And this week they come to him, and they're not going to try that argument again, so they charge him and they say, show us a sign, prove to us through a sign that you are sent from heaven. So again, they're, they're trying to make Jesus look like he's not who he says he is. And Mark makes it clear through the way that he talks about the Pharisees and the language that he uses in describing what they're saying that they aren't actually there to be convinced. They're just there to prove Jesus wrong. Look back with me at verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Now, in the original language, the word for argue is sairitzteo, which means I dispute. I dispute with you. It's not a debate trying to help figure out what the truth is. It's, it's disputing, saying you are wrong. And not only that, but at the very end of the verse, we see this word test, which is parazzo. And that is, I test you in order to prove that you are wrong and make you stumble. And so if we reread this verse, it says, The Pharisees came and began to dispute with Jesus, seeking from Jesus a sign from heaven to test him so that Jesus would stumble. That's how that verse reads in the original language. There's nothing in their hearts that says, actually, we want you to prove that you are right. Instead, their hearts are focused entirely on trying to discredit him. They challenged him because he was taking away their influence. And we see this later on in how Jesus talks about the leaven in verse 15. Verse 15, he's talking to his disciples, they're in the boat, he's cautioning them, saying, watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Both the Pharisees and Herod have a pervasive self 
self-centered and self-generated approach to life. Both the Pharisees and Herod are seeking their own glory rather than God's. The Pharisees are trying to follow the law of Moses in their own strength. We saw this last week as we looked at chapter 7, verses 1 through 30. They were adding these extra traditions so that externally they could look perfect. So that when they were asked if they're following Moses, they can say, yes, look how I'm following Moses. They were trying to save themselves based on their own actions. And Herod Antipas was trying to seek political gain and personal advantage. Neither one of them, the Pharisees or Herod, are actually seeking God or God's glory. They disguise it that way, but they're not. And we can see this emphasized in the other Gospels. You remember that we uh, said that uh, Mark is one of the synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have similar stories. They don't line up perfectly. But if we turn to Luke chapter 12, verse 1, uh, we see Jesus using this term leaven to describe the Pharisees. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first... Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is saying that there is leaven of the Pharisees, and he defines that leaven as hypocrisy, self-righteousness. The teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees was hypocrisy because it was focused on them. And then in Matthew 16, Uh, Verses 6 through 12, as Matthew tells this story, we see that leaven means even something different, misleading teaching. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets it gathered or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So Jesus uses this phrase, leaven, when describing the leaders to talk about their self-righteousness, their self-centeredness, their self-generated approach to faith, including their hypocrisy and their teaching. According to Christ, all of us have a hard heart. All of us have sin in our lives. And to have this hard heart is to be so self-assured and hypocritically self-righteous, particularly the Pharisees, that you are prevented from understanding who Jesus is. The Pharisees and Herod were so wrapped up in themselves that they could not see who Jesus was. Was One commentator pointed out that if the Pharisees had asked Jesus some of the questions that they asked Jesus, but had had a willing heart, Christ would have been totally willing to answer their questions, but he could see through their heart. 
And we see that in the text. That they're not actually asking for understanding. Instead, they are asking to prove him wrong. The Pharisees are a stark contrast. They should have quickly and easily recognized Jesus. They studied the Scriptures. They should have seen the prophecies of who Jesus was and how he was the one that was going to be the Messiah, answer the questions that they had been asking so much. But they were so focused on their own external holiness that they weren't dealing with their sin. And they weren't ready to see Jesus. We saw this last week in chapter 7, verses 1 through 30. They are not dealing with their sin. Instead, they're making the outside of their bodies look perfect through their moral actions, but not dealing with the sin of the heart, which is what Jesus was talking about in 1 through 30. It's interesting, too, because as we read this, as we see them make this demand, as we see them argue with Jesus, even Jesus gets frustrated. If you look, it says he sighs in verse 12. This is a way of showing his anger at their own self-righteousness. If the Pharisees had asked with hearts willing to listen and submit, it would have been different, but he knew that they weren't listening and submitting. They were just trying to prove him wrong so they could continue their lives of self-assured, self-righteous hypocrisy. If they could choose Jesus, or if they could prove Jesus was wrong, then they wouldn't have to change anything they're doing. The worldly leaders, both Pharisees and Herod, were too focused on themselves to see Jesus for who he was. So now that we've looked at those worldly leaders, let's take a moment and look at the disciples and what the disciples missed about Jesus. We see this in verses 16 through 21. So we have the healing of the deaf man. We have the uh, feeding of the 4,000. We have the Pharisees asking their questions. And then Jesus and his disciples get in a boat. And in 16 through 21, we see this interaction between him and them where they just are not understanding who he is. They've seen him. They've been with him. They've heard his teachings. They've just watched Loaves and fish be multiplied, and they don't get it. In verse eight, or chapter eight, verse four, we get a, a small peek at the fact that they're still not understanding who Jesus is because they ask the question, Hey, how can you feed so many people? We don't have that much bread. Now, they've already seen the feeding of the five thousand, and so they're seeming to ask a question that's kind of ridiculous. Maybe they thought that was a one-time thing. Whatever the case may be, it's not that they forgot it because we see in verse, uh, let's see, we see that it says, again, he is able to feed them. They didn't forget that he had fed them before, but they ask, how can you do this? They're still blind and deaf to who Jesus really is. I don't know what their mentality was. I don't know if they were thinking, well, that feeding in the 5,000, that was a one-time thing. Or if they thought that, you know, that he used all his power. I, I don't know what they were thinking. But the point is, they were missing who Jesus was. They've already seen Jesus do these amazing things. And yet they're still doubting that he's able to do it. Let's look at verses 14 through 21. 
Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. He cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, you do not see. And having ears, you do not hear. And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, there were seven or 12 baskets left, the seven for the 7,000, seven baskets left. And do you not yet understand? Jesus is trying to warn his disciples. He's trying to bring their focus back. All they can think about is bread. All they can think about is food. Honestly, the disciples here remind me of teenagers. You know, they're like, hey, let's talk about Jesus. What's for lunch? Let me tell you a story. What's for dinner? All they can focus on is this bread. And Jesus is saying the more important lesson here the more important spiritual lesson here is the idea that the Pharisees and Herod have leaven. They cannot see me because they have sin in their hearts. But the disciples are not getting it. You look at verses 17 and 18 and Jesus asks all these questions. Why can't you understand? Why are you not perceiving? Why are you not seeing? Why are you not hearing? And this is important. Why are you not seeing? Why are you not hearing? Because this whole section is bracketed with these two, hear, or these two healings. One is of deafness and muteness. One is of sight. Jesus can heal the physical, but they are physically and spiritually blind and deaf, or they are spiritually blind and deaf, whereas these two healings were physically blind and deaf despite all that the disciples have seen they've already seen one of these two healings they are having hard hearts just like the pharisees and herod but in their case it's it's failing to see jesus for who he is despite having been with him despite having observed and even participated in miracles you remember jesus sent them out and they were able to do healings as they preached the word they have participated in these things and still don't get it still don't see Jesus for who he is. And it's likely that it's because when they think of the Messiah, when they think of the Christ, they think of a military commander, a military conqueror, one of the Old Testament kings like King David. And that's what was taught in the synagogues. When this Christ comes, he will push out the Romans. When this Christ comes, he will push out our enemies and we'll have the Holy Land again. Jesus didn't come to push out one army. Jesus came to push sin out of our lives, to die on our behalf so that we might have salvation not from a small people group oppressing us, but from eternity being judged for our sin. And the disciples were missing the Messiah right in front of them. Now, thankfully for them, they stick with Jesus and eventually will get it, whereas the Pharisees and Herod just don't care enough about Jesus to pursue that. 
And then in 19 through 21, Christ is trying to point out the ways that he has already shown them what he has done, already shown them who he is, so that they can realize that Jesus is the mediator, Jesus is the sustainer, Jesus is the creator, the one that God would send. God himself, who gave manna to Israel, is now sent to save them from their sins. Jesus is trying to open their eyes. Not just with this lesson, not just with this uh, manifestation of bread and, and fish, but also with these healings, he's trying to open their eyes. In 7, 31 through 37, and then in 8, 22 through 26, those two healings are there to emphasize the weaknesses of the disciples. Particularly in 22 through 26, because we see Jesus' first healing and, and he asks the blind man, what do you see? Now that question was asked not because he wanted to know, but it was asked for the benefit of the disciples as they're watching him heal. As they're watching him heal this person, he says, what do you see? And what does the guy say? He says, I see people, but it's like they're trees. That's exactly what was going on with the disciples. They were with Jesus, and they knew something was special about Jesus, but they weren't getting it, that he was the Messiah. Now, the main difference, like I said, between the disciples and the Pharisees is that the Pharisees remain on the outside, whereas the disciples remain with Jesus and continue to have opportunities to see and believe. So the disciples were too focused on a conquering king, one that would push out the bad guys to see Christ. The worldly leaders were too focused on themselves. The disciples were too focused on an inaccurate picture. What are we too focused on? What is it that we miss about Christ? Now, Christ did not hide his teachings or identities. He wasn't feeding the five. He was feeding the 5,000 he answered questions that were addressed to him. He taught diligently. He performed miracles that affirmed and backed up his teaching. And yet the people, the Pharisees, and even the disciples had a hard time seeing who he was. Now, honestly, we shouldn't be surprised by this. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 3, we read about how Christ would not be understood when he came. Who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, that is Jesus, grew up before them like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Isaiah 53, which refers to Jesus, tells us that when he comes, he would not be understood. And yet, we're kind of like, come on, disciples. We get the Pharisees. We get the people who haven't been taught this. But you've been with Jesus. Now, honestly, some of the reasons that he probably wasn't grasped onto immediately were because there have been 400 years of silence since the last Old Testament prophet. That intertestamental period between the last of the Old Testament and the New Testament when Jesus comes were 400 years of not hearing from God. So maybe they're wondering if 
this Messiah will ever come. And as we've already said, many of them were looking for the wrong thing. They were looking for a military commander in the line of King David. And yet, even with those two excuses, we see in verse 18 of chapter 8 that their hearts were hard against Jesus. Having eyes you do not see, having ears do you not hear, and you do not remember. So as we read and study the text, as we see the disciples and the Pharisees and the people fail to recognize Jesus, are we also failing to recognize Jesus in the text? Are we acting like the disciples? who are so close, reading our Bibles, but missing the point. Or maybe we act like the Pharisees, and we try real hard to be good enough for salvation. Or maybe we act like Herod, and, and we think that if we have possessions and things like that, that shows that God loves us. But Christ is warning against all those things. Christ is warning against self-sufficiency. Christ is warning against autonomy, doing it all by yourself. Christ is warning against skepticism of who he is. Christ is warning against autonomous spirituality. I'll do whatever I want to do to get to God. Brothers and sisters, faith is not about you. It's about God and his glory. If you're looking to your feelings or your wants or your desires to guide you instead of the Bible, you're falling prey to the same trap that the Pharisees and Herod did. You're blind and deaf to the truth. This section of text is reminding us that we have to recognize our own sinfulness, our own hard hearts, and we have to repent. Then we have to be in the Word, studying it so that we're always turning our hearts back to God because our temptation is always going to be to turn away from God and turn towards sin. But we have to turn back towards God. After all, our hearts are not useful guides. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our desires, our hearts, our yearnings are sinful. Our natural disposition towards God is either rejection or an attempt to be self-sufficient and earn our salvation. And yet that's not what Christ is calling us to. Christ comes and shows us the gospel to remind us of our sinfulness. Not only that, but through the gospel, he comes to restore us to our created intent. Why were we created? To walk with God in the garden. That stopped in creation in Eden because Adam and Eve sinned. Because of the fall, we no longer get to be with God. But through Christ, redemption is brought about. And one day, we will see the recreation, the new heavens and the new earth will walk with God again in perfected bodies and be with Him for all eternity as His sons and daughters. And that's not possible through our own actions. That's only possible through Christ. So He comes to show us the gospel and to give us that salvation. 
He comes to restore us to our created intent, to walk with God, not just in eternity, but in all areas of our lives. But the first thing we have to do before we can do any of that is to recognize our own sin and our need for the gospel. We should be regularly praying that God would reveal to us where our lives, where in our lives we are deaf and blind and in need of Christ. What does that look like? Well, are we seeking to save ourselves through outward works and morality like the Pharisees? Are we seeking to be good enough on our own? That's works-based salvation. That's what the Pharisees were doing. That's what Jesus warns against. Or maybe we're seeking wealth, power, or recognition because that would be a sign of God's blessing, which is what Herod was doing. That's the vanities of this world. Or maybe we're missing out on who Christ is because we're so wrapped up in the mundane, like the bread, that we miss the beauty of the gospel, just like the disciples. Are we caught up in works-based salvation? Are we caught up in the vanities of this world? Are we missing Jesus because of the distractions of this world? Brothers and sisters, are we missing out? because we're so focused on other things. God is calling us to a life that glorifies Him because it recognizes Christ and the Gospel. So ask yourself, does my life reflect God and the beauty of the Gospel? Or am I missing out on Christ and not seeking Him even though He's right in front of me? Let's pray. Father, in this text, you show us how the religious leaders and the political leaders were seeking after their own desires and their own yearnings. And we've come to expect that, and we're not surprised by that. But then you show us that the men that you had spent so much time investing in and pouring into were missing it as well. And that is unexpected. Father, we pray that you would help us, help us to, re- <clears throat> excuse me, help us to reflect on whether or not we're trying to seek ourselves, seek to save ourselves through outward works and morality like the Pharisees, or whether we're seeking wealth, power, or recognition like Herod, or whether we're missing Christ because we're so wrapped up in the bread that we forgot to bring on the boat trip like the disciples. Father, are we missing out? Show us the areas in our life where we are not recognizing Jesus, where we are not recognizing your gospel. Help us to turn from our sin and help us to turn back to you. Father, we pray that we would not miss out on Christ. And instead, we would not only embrace him, but that we would love him and that we would glorify him in all that we do. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we close our worship service, just want to remind you. Thanks again for joining us. We pray that you are drawn closer to God and encouraged to be in the Word. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org.